DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation, or the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of Hidden Mountain, the Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations, we discuss the letters of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me. It is so good to be with you. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight to just enter into some of the letters of Elizabeth of the Trinity. We've said it before, but there's something quite lovely about getting these insights from the communication between Elizabeth and others. There's a communion that's taking place, isn't there? Yes, there is. And we've been invited to share that with them. Each of these letters is like a little snapshot of a holy exchange that uh, took place over a hundred years ago. Some of the most beautiful things are, are shared from one heart to another. We're getting to have a little peek into what some of those beautiful things are. Well, and this one is a very important letter, number 335, to kind of make it a little more clinical. But for those who love Elizabeth, they should know this letter. Yes, it was a letter written to Sister Marie Odile on October 28, 1906. It's one of the last letters that she wrote. It was written just days before she died. It's kind of subtitled by Elizabeth herself. It's called Our God is a consuming fire. Sister Maria Odile had received several letters from Elizabeth of the Trinity and burned them all except for this one uh, mm. because it was the last letter. We're dealing with a relationship that goes back a long ways because uh, Sister Maria Odile was an extern sister, meaning she was outside the convent helping the convent when Elizabeth was uh, in her teenage years and visiting the Carmel. And so they had developed a relationship then. And then after Elizabeth entered, this sister came inside the Carmel. And so instead of working outside to support the Carmelite monastery, now she's on the inside helping, again, more behind the scenes, one of the more of the like the servant sisters, they call them lay sisters to support the choir sisters. So their friendship continued. And then Sister Marie Odile was sent to Paré le Monial, where a new Carmel was starting. And so Elizabeth began to write her at that time. And again, this is the last letter that uh, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity wrote Sister Marie Odile. Letter 335 to Sister Marie Odile, October 28, 1906. Our God is a consuming fire. Before flying away to heaven, dear little sister Marie Odile, I want to send you a little note from my soul. 
For I am anxious for you to know that in the Father's house I will pray specially for you. I am keeping a rendezvous with you in the furnace of love. My eternity will be spent there, and you can begin it already here on earth. Dear sister, I will be jealous for the beauty of your soul, for, as you know, my little heart loves you very much. And when one loves, one desires the best for the beloved. I think that in heaven, my mission will be to draw souls by helping them go out of themselves to cling to God by a holy, simple, and loving movement and to keep them in this great silence within that will allow God to communicate himself to them and transform them into himself. Dear little sister of my soul, it seems to me I now see everything in God's light. And if I started my life over again, oh, I would wish not to waste one instant. He does not allow us, his brides in Carmel, to devote ourselves to anything but love, but the divine. And if by chance, in the radiance of his light, I see you leave that soul occupation, I will come very quickly to call you to order. You would want that, wouldn't you? Pray for me. Help me to prepare for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Death entails a great deal of suffering, and I am counting on you to help me. In return, I will come to help you at your death. My master urges me on, he speaks to me of nothing but the eternity of love. It is so grave, so serious. I wish to live each moment fully. Adieu. I don't have the strength or the permission to write at length. But you know St. Paul's words. Our conversation is in heaven. Beloved little sister, let us live by love, so we may die of love, and glorify the God who is all love. Laudem Gloriae, October 28, furnace of love that she talks about that was consuming her wasn't it yeah it's an interesting <laughs> phenomena some people don't like the thought but i think it's a powerful thought for christianity death has been overcome and conquered by jesus 
that's what the resurrection is all about. He died on the cross so that when he rose, um, he might open up a pathway of life for us so that even as we die, we live life to the full. And that's exactly what you see right here is, is a soul so caught up in the love of God, in the furnace of love, as you say. Even if she dies very painful and difficult death, Addison's disease, she's living life every single instant to the full. She, in a very succinct way, establishes her mission, doesn't she? I think that in heaven, my mission will be to draw souls by helping them go out of themselves to cling to God by a holy, simple, and loving movement, and to keep them in this great silence within that will allow God to communicate himself to them and transform them into himself. So it's very much a mission about leading souls into this beautiful and profound silence. What do you suppose, Anthony, with this particular letter to this particular soul, what is she trying to communicate? Because it seems as though it's she's on her deathbed. It's difficult to write, and yet you can't help but feel joy in every single passage. I'm not trying to sound sugar sweet either. I mean, there's just something here that is just so remarkable. In this letter, you have all the tension between heaven and earth. As we know, we believe that when God created the heavens and the earth, one of the things he did was he separated them. And so St. Elizabeth is flying away to heaven, this movement of flying away or going away. She's anxious that her friend should know that even though she's going away, she's not going to forget her friend, that her friend will remain in her prayers. And, and in this, this, the communion of saints, holy things for God's holy people, we, we share and exchange gifts between heaven and earth, uh, that even though God has separated heaven and earth, good things are exchanged between them. And so we pray for those who are dying and those who have, dead, who have died before us, because those prayers help them, but they also pray for us. And so that's one movement here. And the, the other movement is that even though they will be separated, they will also be united. And the unity will be God's love. God's love has brought together heaven and earth. So even the souls that we've lost who've gone before us in the faith, insofar as we are drawn to God's love and, and they're burning with God's love, we're united together in his love. We belong to a communion that is more powerful than death. And so this is an image. Another thing is the image of two souls. Elizabeth's soul is the soul that's flying away to heaven. Sister Odile's soul, Marie Odile's soul, is a beautiful soul. I will be jealous for the beauty of your soul. It's a soul that is whose beauty attracts Elizabeth. As you know, my little heart loves you very much. And when one loves, one desires the best for the beloved. And so Elizabeth uh, is drawn to the beauty of Marie Odell's soul and wants it to thrive. And that's the way our friends in heaven are towards us. They are not indifferent to what's going on in our lives. That's what moves their prayers for us is that they want us to know the fullness of love. And then after she explains her mission, which is to lead souls by a loving movement where God can transform them. Elizabeth says, 
if by chance in the radiance of his life, I see you leave the sole occupation, the occupation of loving God, I will come very quickly to call you to order. You would want that, wouldn't you? And so what she's saying is in addition to praying for Sister Marie Odile, if Sister Marie Odile kind of like loses sight of what's going on, isn't taking advantage of the graces that God is giving in this moment, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity is going to come to her and remind her of what her job is. In other words, St. Elizabeth will still be in her life helping her realize this life of love of God. She'll still be present. And so this is the curious thing about Christian death then. It removes us, takes us away, but it also implicates us in the lives of those we love. It doesn't prevent us from praying for each other and even from being present in in each other's lives in a way that the saints who've gone before us can help direct us back to Jesus when we get off track. And Elizabeth is kind of relaying her commitment that this is going to be be what she does for Sister Marie Odile. But I also think that it's something that she does for any soul that asks for her intercession. That's a tremendous gift, isn't it? That presence of hers in someone's life. Yes. I think Elizabeth of the Trinity is especially for souls who want to go deep into mental prayer. If they will befriend her and ask, you know, St. Elizabeth, help me go deeper into my intimacy with Jesus. Help me not get distracted from the occupation of loving, from the simple loving movement. Help me not be afraid of silence. Help me enter into the silence where God can transform me. Elizabeth of the Trinity is going to pray for you. And when you get off track, she's going to come and remind you of what your purpose is because she's that good of a friend. She doesn't abandon her friends. She cares about them. As she grows in the love of Jesus, as she's on fire with his love, she wants us to be on fire too. I have to bring up the recent apostolic exhortation of Pope Francis, Rejoice and Be Glad, where he exhorts all of us to that universal call to holiness and by the way of being contemplatives in action, essentially, allowing those times of silence, that encounter with God is particularly in our hearts, but to allow Christ to be able to radiate in us so that we can live out the relationship with others in the world. And that seems to be at the very heart of what Elizabeth is trying to implore, whether it's her own sister or a sister who is outside of the cloister or, and then has to, to be out present amongst others. Yeah, well, it's a curious thing, this silence that Elizabeth helps us enter into. It's not just any silence. There are many different kinds of silence. There is the, a silence that we can enter into when we're trying to escape our responsibilities, when we're running away from the demands of love that God has put in our lives. That kind of escapist silence, the, the Holy Father, in fact, at the beginning of that exhortation, actually warns the church against that. But then as he goes on further, he talks about other kinds of silences that are necessary for the Christian life. And he speaks about the silence of uh, where we withdraw and listen to the Lord, uh, that we 
let go of some of the technology and other noise in our life so that we can listen to what the Lord has to say to us from his heart to ours. And he actually comes back to that in a couple different places in the exhortation. In fact, that whole exhortation, if you read it carefully, it leads to the cross. And at the cross, Mary is there, the very last paragraph, Mary's there to help us. And that vision of silence where you renounce false kinds of silence to open yourself up to a more fruitful kind of silence of encounter, uh, it takes you to the cross. And it's there as you journey towards the cross that you also, this love and devotion to God, you discover in order to draw close to the cross, in order to go deeper into silence, your neighbor becomes the instrument that God uses to bring you into deeper intimacy with him. The neighbor, God's presence, Christ, especially your neighbor who is suffering in a plight, God is present there. And if you want to find God, you need to go and relieve that suffering that your neighbor is undergoing that actually helps you enter into silence. And this is what Elizabeth means by the sole occupation of loving. It's not an escapist silence. It's a silence that implicates you in the love of God. And the love of God is found uh, not away from our families or away from the poor or away from the suffering. The love of God is found right in the midst of our familial responsibilities, right in the midst of the responsibilities we have in the community, and especially right in the midst of those who are suffering. Somehow, by responding to that love, we enter deeper into the silence that Elizabeth of the Trinity wants us to know. It's a simple, loving movement. And she also speaks, as you pointed out in this, about how God can transform our hearts, our very being, in, in a real way. She sees that, and that transformation strikes me as being very Eucharistic. We're not a Eucharistic people if we don't believe in the power of transformation, don't you think? Well, that, that's right. And she actually develops that idea. We've, we've actually had a couple other conversations about other letters that she's written, especially to priests, where she provides the same idea, but she presents it in more Eucharistic terms. Uh, she believed that as you participate in the Mass, when the priest is raising up the elements, the, the body and blood of Jesus, the, the bread and wine that have become the body and blood of Jesus, when the priest is doing it, she asks the priest actually to put her in the chalice, to offer her with Jesus, because she identifies with her spouse, being offered up through the hands of the priest, just as those elements become changed from wine to the blood of Christ, bread to the body of Christ, she wants to be transformed uh, so that the mystery of Christ extends through her. So she's explained that in previous letters. It also comes up in her retreats. And that kind of fleshes out what she means by the transformation that God is affecting when she says, I think that in heaven, my mission will be to draw souls by helping them go out of themselves to cling to God by a holy, simple and loving movement and to keep them in this great silence within that will allow God to communicate himself to them and transform them into himself. 
That's a Eucharistic transformation in, in which the total self-gift of Jesus becomes the animating principle of our life. It informs the way we relate in the world, uh, the way we relate to each other, and the way we relate to God. So just as Jesus did everything for the glory of the Father, his life in us allows us to glorify the Father in every moment of our lives. That's why Elizabeth wants us to go in the silence, is so that this kind of transformation can happen in us. We, by taking a closer look at the letters of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, have watched her transform as well, haven't we? Yes, we have. Probably most of the letters that we looked at were letters that she wrote in a state called Transforming Union that uh, Teresa of Avila writes about. She became very spiritually mature very early on. But in that Transforming Union, in that highest level of union, it's not a static state. It's one that admits of continual progress. And in Elizabeth of the Trinity's case, this highest level of union becomes more and more fruitful. So that when she's dying and she's at her weakness and she seems to be the most powerless, that's when she is the most fruitful and most on fire for God. That's what union with God does. It transforms powerlessness and voids and inadequacies and failures. It transforms them into means of grace for the, not only for yourself, but for the whole world. And this is what we get to see in these very final letters of Elizabeth of the Trinity. But in particular, this one, uh, let us live by love so that we may die of love and glorify the God who is all love. This great thrust to live by love, even as she dies, this surrender, letting her death become a surrender into love. Instead of fighting love and fighting death, she's going to surrender. And in that, uh, living by love and in the surrender to love, making her death a sacrifice of love, she's realizing her finest moment, her supreme sacrifice before the Father. Her death becomes a Eucharistic moment. And because of that, it glorifies the God who is all love. It's a very powerful idea. And she signs a laudum gloriae unto the praise of God's glory. You're touching an area for so many people, Anthony, that is the most frightening. It is so scary, and it's that whole realm of death. For many people who will read the letters and they're aware that these are her final days, they can say, okay, she can live this because she's coming towards the end, but we don't even want to conceive that an end might be coming to our own lives. Does that make sense? I mean, there's a, a fundamental fear that just paralyzes us, doesn't it? Well, and that's very natural. St. Thomas says, by nature, fear of death, by grace, audacity. <laughs> and what we see with Elizabeth, even though we, you know, nobody likes to talk about death, there's a fear of it. Uh, when somebody's died, we say the polite words we're supposed to say, and then we move on. We don't try not to think about it very much because there's something in us that is repulsed by it, that withdraws from it, that wants to preserve ourselves against it. So we think that if we don't think about it and we don't talk about it, it goes away. But that's not the pathway of the saints. For the pathway of the saints, it's just the opposite. As you become aware of death, as you face your own death, or as you accompany somebody else who is dying, rather than 
try to avoid the topic, you bring this great mystery to God in prayer. And this is what Elizabeth is doing. Doing. She said in her prayer, in her silence, she hears Jesus speaking to her about the mystery of death. Pray for me. Help me to prepare for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Death entails a great deal of suffering, and I am counting on you to help me. In return, I will come to help you at your death. My master urges me on. He speaks to me of nothing but the eternity of love. It is so grave, so serious. I wish to live each moment fully. If you want to know the, the art of dying well, if you want to be able to, to face your death with the audacity that grace gives, this is precisely the moment to surrender to prayer and listen to Jesus. And Jesus is going to call you to a greater love. I, my heart right now goes to a woman that was sent to, I, I worked for a parish and the priest could, couldn't go. There was somebody who was dying. They couldn't go. Other things were going on. So they sent me in the evening to this lady and I, I spent some time with her, not knowing that it would be the last hours of her life. Neither did anyone else at the parish. And she was so frightened. She was so frightened. She grabbed my hand. She didn't want me to leave. She begged me to stay. And I said, why are you so frightened? She said, I don't want to die alone. Aww. Now, I prayed with her, and she eventually settled down. And I eventually did need to leave that night, but she died in the early hours of the morning. And what I hope was that before her death, that she was able to hear the voice of the master urging her on. Fear is a natural thing to have to face as we approach the mystery of death. That's normal. That's part of nature. But Jesus allows us to go beyond our nature. Jesus allows us actually to go through our nature with a new kind of courage. If we open ourselves to listen to his voice, in these very serious, very grave moments, he is going to urge us to love even in the face of this uh, supreme trial that each one of us has to walk through. He's going to urge us to love. And when he urges us to love, when he commands us to love, encourages us to go forward, there's a curious thing when you hear his voice. His voice not only tells you what to do, but it gives you the power to do it. When you listen for the voice of Jesus, he gives you all the power you need to go forward. I remember another woman that I had the privilege of being with towards the very end of her life. And I asked her, do you pray? And she said, oh, I can't pray anymore. And I said, well, do you, she was Baptist. Do you read the scriptures? And she told me, no, I'm too tired. My eyes, I can't read the scriptures anymore. And I knew that prayer Praying for her family and reading the scriptures were things that were extremely important to her. And now she was too weak even to do that. So I said, well, then what do you do? And she said, I think about that Bible verse from Romans. 
where it says in chapter five, our hope does not disappoint. And as I think about that Bible verse, our hope doesn't disappoint. In my heart, I long to see his face. Do you see what was going on? This lady who was too tired and too exhausted, her body too frail for her to read anymore, her spirit too exhausted to even be able to pray anymore, was filled with the love of God, with the thought that her hope doesn't disappoint, with a yearning, a, a great desire to see the face of the Lord. That lady was being raised up to Jesus in the same furnace of love that Elizabeth of the Trinity was talking about. That's the greatness of what God has for us. He's going to make what some people frightens them so much that they spend their whole lives running away from. He's going to make that the greatest moment of our lives, the finest hour of our lives, if we will turn to him and humbly uh, seek to hear his voice. He's going to give us everything we need. That is Eucharistic, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a great thanksgiving unto the glory of the Father. Wow. Final thoughts, Anthony? I want to encourage everybody who's been listening to this series to ask Elizabeth of the Trinity to help you with the gift of contemplative prayer in your life, to ask Elizabeth of the Trinity to help lead you into this great silence where you can be transformed by God. Not only is it going to fill your life with meaning and change all the relationships that are around you, not only is it going to empower you to love the people that God has given you, but, but when you face great trials, uh, especially we will all have to eventually face our death, I am certain that Elizabeth of the Trinity will not stop praying for you. And that uh, Elizabeth and our mother Mary and all the saints will guide you to Jesus. And in them, you will find the courage to make of your life and your death a beautiful offering to God. Please let it be. Let it be so. Amen. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you, Chris. It's been an honor to be with you. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or download the free Discerning Hearts app located at the iTunes and Google Play app stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will First, pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.